Outside, should I run and hide? How do I take my company worldwide? Do you love the law? Did you watch Hee Haw? What's the weirdest thing that you ever saw? What's it like in court? Favorite sport? Can you help with my book report? Is my hair too long? Am I right or wrong? And do you mind if I sing along to anything? Ask Alan anything in the world. All right, welcome everybody. Welcome back to another episode of Ask Alan. I'm Alan Crone, the CEO of the Crone Law Firm. And uh, I'm here today with uh, Donna Lim. And uh, Donna, I appreciate, uh, appreciate you coming on the show. Alan, it's my pleasure to be here this morning. All right, Donna, um, tell me, uh, we were talking a little bit before we started the, uh, uh, the, the broadcast uh, about both of our backgrounds. And you're from uh, New Orleans originally. I am. It's a fun place to be from. So how is it to grow up in New Orleans? Oh, my goodness. I think uh, when you grow up in New Orleans, you take it all for granted. But it is just a marvelous place. It is a very small community. I mean, it's actually a very small city in a lot of ways. Um, you know, people live to eat. Uh, people live to to find a reason to have a party and all of that, um, very family uh, focused. I, I gotta tell you, it was a wonderful place to grow up. Now, did you uh, do high school in New Orleans? I did. Which um, high school? I, I actually went to Mount Carmel Academy, which is a, a question that everybody asks. They don't ask when they say, where'd you go to school? They don't mean college. They mean, where'd you go to high school? Um, because around here, so much is about what part of the city did you grow up in? Right. Uh, so it's been, been, been a ton of fun. And uh, did, where did you do your uh, post-secondary education? Well, it, it, it's interesting. I, I actually went to school, um, college at LSU, uh, go Tigers, and yeah. then um, did my graduate study at the University of Bradford in England uh, many, many years ago. In, in a curriculum called International Studies Curriculum, but back then, uh, looking at conflict, conflict resolution, and all that sounds real fancy, uh, but the truth is when I got out of school and, and had, had my postgraduate degree, it's like, what the heck am I gonna do now? And my dad looked at me and he said, you know, honey, this party is over, go <laughs> find a job. And uh, so I, I think that, that you, you had a question that you're gonna pose to me about, you know, how I even got into this business. But I, I gave you the prelude. I mean, my dad basically saying, you know, party over, fine job. And uh, like so many young people coming out of college, um, you know, you've got these degrees, but no direction. And uh, I, I really began to, to just search, what is it that I love? What is it that I could, could possibly be doing that could even be applicable to my studies? And like so many people, what they study isn't actually what they go on and do in their life. I had a good friend who said, you know, come and interview at, at Likes Lines. Likes Lines is a, an ocean carrier, steamship line. It was based in New Orleans. And I, I interviewed with a guy named Frank Barragona, who went on to be the president of CMA CGM, one of the largest marine carriers in the world. And he gave me a break, you know, and I think sometimes that's what it takes, you know, somebody that just says, I see something, whatever that is, uh, gave me a break. 
he, he looked at me, he said, in six months, you're going to know if this is your thing. And um, I wasn't really sure what that meant. I didn't know a lot about international shipping at the time and fell in love with the business many, many years ago. That's how it started. Well, that's, uh, that's, a, that's a great story. And I, I don't know about you, but I've always envied those people in my life who always seem to know exactly what they wanted to do. Alan, what is that? You know, how, how do you get so lucky to know that? It really is a blessing because uh, I, I'm still uh, trying to figure out what I want to do when I grow up. Um, and, and uh, you know, it, it's, uh, but when you, when you fall into something that you love, that, that is maybe even a greater blessing. It is. It is. Um, it's kind of a, a delightful surprise in a lot of ways. And, and for me, entering in the business many, many years ago, um, I actually started in sales. And it's very difficult to sell something you don't know a lot about. And so um, I just uh, remember having great teachers around me. I, I, I remember very early in the job asking if I could move out of sales into operations. And my boss looked at me and he said, nobody does that. Why, why are you doing that? I said, because I need to learn. I need to know what I'm doing in order to help these customers. And I got out and I got in ops and I absolutely have the greatest respect for our operators. Um, our frontline people run our business every day. And that's where the greatest learning uh, for me was. And so um, got out of ops and then got back into sales uh, again with a customer focus, but this time a heck of a lot better equipped to serve the customer. So it's just kind of been fun. Sure, sure. Uh, now, I neglected to, to mention at the, the offset, I was so excited to get in and, and talk to you that uh, I forgot to, to say that you're with IMC Companies, which is a logistics company. Oh, yeah. IMC Companies is a logistics company based and headquartered in Memphis. Uh, just a little bit of background about IMC Companies and, and what we do. So back in 1982, a long while ago, um, our chairman, Mark George, started our company with one driver. And, and so what do we do? Motor carrier, right? And he had a vision that one day IMC companies would be the largest uh, international marine drayage provider in the country. Fast forward to today, IMC companies is the largest international marine drayage company in the world. Well, in the United States, let, let's say in the United States. And so what does that mean? You know, you, you have people in the audience that say, what's, you know, what's a drayage provider? What do they do? Right. Um, so when these big ships come in um, or go out, they bring in international marine containers and they discharge. And much of uh, what, what's done once uh, these containers discharge, us, motor carriers, pick up those containers either deliver, the, deliver them to the customer, the consignee, or they're put on trains and they move intermodally across the United States. And so when they get to major rail hubs like Memphis, like Dallas, like Chicago, Kansas City, uh, we, uh, IMC companies, picks up from that railroad and delivers. On the flip side, uh, export, export containers. It's our job to be that first mile. 
So when that export is ready, uh, we and our, our drivers will pick up that export load, take it to the rail, take it to the port for, for exiting the United States. And that's what international marine um, business is all about. And that's what we as motor carriers, that's the space that we're in to connect both the shipper and uh, our ocean carriers. We're right smack in the middle doing first mile and last mile. That's what we do. Right. And uh, that's almost like a military operation, it sounds like. Oh, my goodness. Um, yeah. In a lot of ways, it's all about execution. And uh, it's all about being on time, on time performance. Inventory levels are, you know, are critically low. And everybody's looking for that driver, that delivery. So in a lot of ways, you're absolutely right. So uh, I've been reading a lot lately about these new uh, container ships that may be uh, traveling up uh, from the Delta uh, into Memphis with much larger amounts of these containers. Uh, how do you think that will affect uh, Memphis in your business? You know, we have seen um, containers on barges from Memphis moving, for example, down to New Orleans. Uh, quite frankly, excited about it. Memphis is a, a great hub uh, for international commerce. We have a tremendous infrastructure with our trains. And we talked earlier about intermodal, these containers that move across the United States into Memphis, for example. But there's also a great need to move containers, empty containers, uh, down to the Gulf and to serve a, a, another community here in the Gulf. And so we're excited about any additional mode of transport. So in essence, these containers that are now gonna be moving up the river and then down the river with empties are just one more mode, one more opportunity for us to expand our network and what we do in Memphis. So we're excited about it. Well, very good. Uh, how, do, how, will, how, how is your business affecting the Memphis economy? How does it relate to the Memphis economy? We believe, first of all, we're a very uh, large employer in Memphis and, and, and very grateful for the opportunity um, to be able to employ um, so many people, but also our drivers. Um, we are constantly recruiting uh, drivers. And so just by nature of what we do is vital to our economy, our ability to serve all of these shippers, both exporters and importers uh, in Memphis and in the Delta. It's just critical um, in order to get these goods in and out uh, of our city and our region, so. Very good. The, um... Uh, you know, one thing we talked about uh, off camera that I always like to, to talk about is who are your, who are your role models? Who are your heroes uh, in the business that help you get where, where you are now? Oh, goodness. Uh, I've been so blessed. You know, I started a, a little bit ago to share with you about Frank Barragona, who first gave me that break, who went on to be president of uh, CMA CGM. And he, you know, at an early age, um, he had such discipline and, and such focus. And, and as a young person entering the business, I, I think just um, being able to witness that and, 
and understanding how critical that was to be successful. I mean, that, that was kind of a beginning for me. Um, but through the years, so many people so willing to share uh, with me. And uh, I look back, a gentleman named George Marshall. I worked for a Japanese ocean carrier called Mitsui OSK Lines back then. George Mar Marshall, such a gentleman, such a prince, such a, um, you know, a, a kind man, but also so generous in, in his sharing. <clears throat> he certainly, excuse me, uh, a, a great mentor. Going on to Sealand Services, a huge American flag carrier who, uh, you know, was, was sold back in 1998 to the Danes, big ocean carrier named Maersk. Marvelous um, mentors at Sealand, uh, Bill Kenwell, uh, Chris, uh, Cliff Pyron, now with the Port of Savannah. These guys have stayed in the business and gone on to, to, to take on great leadership roles in the maritime industry and to have worked side by side with them uh, there is uh, almost a, a fraternity, if you will, that you never lose. Um, each of you having each other's back. Um, in, in the international world, you work 24 by 7. And so, you know, you know, we go home and we're eating dinner and then Asia comes online. And so the business continues uh, and literally... Um, and that's part of the knowing six months in, am I well suited for this? You know, am I able to shut this off? Well, in the business that we're in, it's very difficult to shut it off because we're constantly moving, freight is constantly moving, and the world um, is all on a different time frame. And often you need to be able to, to um, be available for that. So going back to mentors, I, you know, when asked this question, I often, What's interesting, in immediately sharing with you um, so many of my male mentors, because my business is very, very heavily male dominated. And what's so fun is that, you know, today I, I, I had a mentor, her name was Sheila Brack, and she worked for a very large uh, cotton uh, merchant based in Memphis, Tennessee. And again, as a very young person, not understanding cotton, not understanding the cotton trade, uh, not only did she teach me the business, but her work ethic and, and her way that she was constantly trying to put the pieces of what we do together to find a better way and a faster way. I never forgot that and um, have tried so hard uh, as the years progress to, to use that expertise and to keep moving and to keep pushing. So hats off to Sheila Bracken. And I think today uh, I would be remiss not to talk about uh, FMC Commissioner Guy. She has uh, just been an amazing teacher, uh, not only to me, but to so many people in the industry. Uh, her job, always trying to make the supply chain more efficient and better. Her job at an, in engaging uh, industry stakeholders and leaders learning from that, learning from that environment, um, being able to be with so many smart people in the business um, that know a heck of a lot more about their segment of the business than, than, than you do, I do. Those are the kind of mentors that uh, I'm just so grateful for and have learned so much from. Well, I gotta ask you, you mentioned that uh, 
your business, your industry is, is a male dominated industry. What, it, what was it like coming up uh, in, that, in that industry as a woman? And what would you say to young women starting out in the logistics field now on how to navigate, uh, if you will, uh, those, those waters? When I first started off in the business, you know, I, I, I will be real honest, I wasn't, I wasn't aware you know, um, if you will. I, I always had an attitude that, you know, work hard, do well, and you'll be recognized. Um, there were barriers. Um, again, that, that perhaps in, in retrospect, you reflect back, I was in sales. People wouldn't let me buy their lunch. People, you know, it, it was, it was kind of crazy stuff. Um, and, you know, what's, what, what's the advice? The advice is pretty simple. Work smart, work hard, respect, and um, keep learning. And I will tell you things are better. Things are much better, much more awareness, um, much more opportunity. Um, and so I'm pleased to tell you, looking back over the past three decades, we have just come so far. I have a daughter. And um, so very, very proud of her. And she is in a different field. Um, uh, do, what you, do what you love, go find your way. But for her, even watching through COVID, you know, it, it's been really interesting, these Zoom meetings, right? And she's on a Zoom meeting and her husband's on a Zoom meeting and their one-year-old is running around. And so I smile, I smile. Because I remember 30 years ago, you know, when my kids, we had to come to the office and they're underneath my desk and I'm, Shh, be quiet, please be quiet for mommy. We're, we're going to go get McDonald's after this, you know. It is a, it's a much different and, and uh, much more uh, inviting um, environment today and just so pleased uh, to see the progress. Well, that's, uh, those are those are great thoughts. And, you know, we represent a lot of women uh, and uh, I can tell a difference uh, in the, in a lot of industries from when I started practicing to now. Uh, but I think we still have a lot of work to do to, to even out that playing field uh, for folks. But I, I find the people that do well are the ones that have the attitude you do, which is um, be aware of the differences, but work hard and most of the time that merit is, is, is recognized. I agree with that, Alan. I really, really, really do. Well, I don't want to skip around too much, but how does a New Orleans uh, professional uh, working in the port, I guess near, near the port of New Orleans, come to the port of Memphis? Well, I was brought to Memphis um, about 30 years ago. Um, you know, we were young, young family, and as a young family, I think you said it before we started, uh, we all need help in life. And so we have a tendency to go um, where family is. And so we, we, we moved uh, to Memphis about 30 years ago. Memphis was a hustling and bustling place 30 years ago. Intermodalism was booming. And intermodalism, meaning this connection by rail into Memphis. And all around Memphis, ocean carriers were, 
were opening up offices. And so it was a very lucrative place to be for me who had started, like I mentioned, in New Orleans with this international steamship line, to be able to go to Memphis in the interior and all of a sudden have all this opportunity. In Memphis proper, look at all the major uh, exporters, huge cotton exporter, huge paper uh, industry, uh, right there on uh, Poplar Avenue, um, being served by um, our friends at International Paper, for example. So I got to Memphis and, and, and was just so blessed to be able to be in a city um, that was very much like New Orleans in a lot of ways, um, culturally like New Orleans, felt at home immediately uh, in Memphis. And then on a business note, to, to be part of this thriving international intermodal community, um, a young person at the time with so much future ahead. And so that's how I got to Memphis. And uh, quite frankly, that's how I uh, am still employed and continue to work in Memphis um, by Mark George and IMC companies. So it's been fantastic. Well, um, uh, it wouldn't be uh, appropriate to have a podcast in these days without talking about uh, the current environment. And I know that uh, your industry has been uh, profoundly affected by uh, the logistical strain that um, the, the pandemic has, has put on our society. Talk a little bit about how uh, IMC companies are responding to that and what, what challenges you have and what opportunities all of this presents for you. Well, thanks, Alan. I, you know, I really want listeners to, to know what's going on um, and how, you know, COVID-19 has impacted the logistics supply chain. And if we go back to March and April, there was, and still, uh, so much that is unknown. Um, but literally when China shut down in February, it was Chinese New Year and manufacturing absolutely came to a screeching halt. And so we did see in March this lull and then there's this anticipation, what's coming? And this lack of visibility to understand internationally what's coming our way. And immediately concern for our drivers and how are we gonna keep them moving? Concern for our, our consumers, what's coming? What essential goods do we need and do we not have? And so there was this great um, intrepidation, right? What, what's gonna happen? And so March and April, we are on the phone constantly. Um, and then this wave of freight starts coming in April and it comes and it comes in this huge surge. And we're wondering, is it temporary? Because there's no way to really forecast. I mean, we're, we're clearly in touch with the greatest economists in the world. And one of my, my great friends, Walter Kimsey, he's an amazing economist. You know, he says, ladies and gentlemen, we just don't know. And until there's a vaccine, we just don't know. So can you imagine being in the business of moving freight? This is what we do for a living. What's coming? What's not coming? What can we move out? You know, so it's been crazy. We could not have forecasted this. The freight continues to come to move into the United States 
and move out. We're right now in what we call peak season. Peak season is usually pre-Christmas goods. So historically, it is a very busy time of year uh, for the drainage community and for all of us in, in international supply chain. Well, that compounded by COVID-19, what happened, uh, many of our ocean carriers operate these very, very large vessels today. They're no longer these 4,000, 5,000 TEU ships. They're 12,000, 14,000 TEU ships. They enter into vessel sharing agreements. So you have multiple partners on these ships. When, when COVID-19 first happened, um, many of these ships, we call them blanked sailings. They simply cut the sailings. Sometimes you don't know what you don't know. We weren't sure what the impact would be. But imagine you're, um, we all fly. And imagine that we have um, one airline carrier that we always use. And that airline carrier had 10 flights a day. And now through COVID, there are two flights a day. And all of a sudden they partner with multiple airline carriers. But they're only serving two times, or only calling Memphis maybe two times a day with two flights out to JFK. Similarly, this is what happened on the international side. These big ships have these vessel sharing agreements with multiple partners. We have this blank sailing phenomenon going on. So the frequency of sailings is, is skewed. So what's happening? These ships are coming in now and dumping these huge, huge volumes of freight into this infrastructure that's not yet prepared for these huge dumping uh, of cargo. The congestion, the congestion is so real. I wish I had pictures for you, Alan, just to show you these drivers that are standing in line five and six hours in LA and Long Beach, these, these huge gateways. And now happening on the East Coast too. And so here we sit in Memphis, this freight just domino effect coming in in waves. So it's been, um, the community needs to know, uh, surge of freight, uh, critical driver shortage um, is going on as, as these drivers try to piece together um, and be the savior, if you will, of this supply chain that's just so bottlenecked. So that's what's going on right now. It, it, it's fun times. That's all I can tell you. Well, let me ask you this. Um, this influx of freight, is that, is, is that due to the fact that that there was a backlog and, and folks are shipping more or is it because it's concentrated into fewer um, into fewer uh, ships and so it all comes at one time? What's the, the reason why now the, the, there's so much, there's so much freight coming in? It's a great question and it's absolutely both. You know, inventories were very low. You're also in peak season as people gear up for for Christmas and, you know, quite frankly, you know, even a little bit earlier, it was back to school, you know. Um, so it is both. It is the replenishment of these goods, um, badly needed for manufacturing. And also, let's look at the flip side, exports. Exports are going great guns. The pearly gates are open. And the good news is we're moving freight outbound 
as fast and as furiously as we can. So it's moving in both directions. So to answer your question, it's both. One phenomenon that I think um, was highlighted by the pandemic was the, and I don't know how to describe it. You probably uh, can describe it very, very succinctly, but this notion that uh, the supply chain was kind of finely tuned uh, to provide just enough inventory uh, for uh, retailers that they needed based on past uh, consumption. And it really has kind of highlighted the fact that you get a you kind of get a, 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 a glitch like this and it has ripple effects and can cause shortages. Um, am I right about that? And, and if so, what what changes have has the industry made to respond to that? Well, I think I think you saw it in stores. I think you you, you saw empty shelves, and um, you know I, I was shopping recently in Memphis, and let's just take it back even a couple of months. The stores were were, were pretty bare, and so this inventory replenishment. Uh, I think people are rethinking their inventory levels. I think people uh, don't want to be caught, um, I guess, in similar situations. And so we're seeing a lot of dynamics as, as people begin to replenish those inventories, possibly with a little bit more stock than they had before. We also, though, have to be mindful of, of warehousing and what's going on and the labor issues um, that, that are really being pulled you know, do we have the labor? Do we have the resources that, that we had eight months ago? And the answer is no, you know? And so, you know, all of those things are critical components of the supply chain that we have to think about. But you ask the question, you know, was it, was it a factor of, of inventory levels? Yep, there was. We see this replenishment. We see this huge cycle coming. We also see, you know, the spikes in e-commerce. So it's evident. Look at how many packages you have arriving at your door. And again, responding to those surges um, in e-commerce uh, and, and as drainage providers certainly responded to those markets uh, and rising markets that, that immediately we saw exponential growth uh, when COVID-19 hit. Uh, transitioning a little bit, I understand that you recently uh, testified before the, the Senate Committee on uh, Commerce. Um, first of all, that had to be uh, exciting. Uh, I've never testified uh, in Congress before. Uh, tell me what that was like, and what did what did uh, you tell the uh, what knowledge did you drop on the U.S. Senate? It's interesting. Um, so first of all, it is exciting, and it's an honor, but it's terrifying. You know, you got five minutes to go in there and tell your story and you want to hit the highlights. You want, you, you, you want these senators to know in five minutes what's going on in your industry. And so uh, I got to tell you something that was pretty fun. So I walked in there, I, I slept, which I encourage anybody to do that's going to testify before Congress and be prepared, right? But I was scared. And um, I looked up and uh, Senator Deb Fisher from Nebraska, she was the chair lady, she was smiling. And then with her, behind her, two other uh, lady senators came in and they were smiling. When somebody smiles at you, you naturally respond back. 
And it, it was like kind of this calming effect. And then the guy senator, he walks in and he's late. And man, they start chiding him about being late. And immediately I'm at ease. I feel comfortable that look, there are people just like you and me. And I get a chance to tell the story. So what's the story I'm telling? It's crazy. This is April, just a year ago. I'm telling the same story in April that I'm telling you today. I'm telling you about congestion. I'm talking about infrastructure challenges. I'm talking about being in Memphis, this amazing gateway for five class one railroads and you know a highway infrastructure, bar not. And I'm talking about the challenges at the time for US exporters and about this need um, to keep US exports competitive and moving. And so that's what I was talking about. Um, and it's, it's crazy that here we are a year later talking about the same. I had one FMC commissioner ask me one time, Islam, you know, he says, do you think some of the challenges at hand are systemic or one-off? And I, I just remember saying, sir, these issues are indeed systemic. Look, look what happens and the patterns of what happened year over year, surge over surge. Um, goodness gracious, you know, sometimes it's great to be in the business all these years and sometimes you just want to bang your head against the wall because the same thing keeps happening year over year. And all you want to do is move the needle just a little bit um, so that some of these challenges go away. So that was that I, I'm glad you brought it up because uh, that was that was a fun, fun, wonderful thing to, to do a year ago. But more than being a, a wonderful experience, you, you just hope that um, somebody's listening. Yeah, sometimes uh, uh, it seems like everybody's talking in Washington, but they're not really listening. But uh, I, I, I'm, uh, I, I know I'm listening to you, so I, I'm sure they listen to you as well. Well, the, the good news is, you know, there was, um, you know, tremendous uh, interest in what we had to say. Uh, we have recently uh, worked uh, with uh, one of the Senate Commerce Committees to continue to, to work on some of the challenges that we addressed uh, over a year and a half ago. And so the good news is they were listening. And so that, that's what makes it a, a little bit more rewarding uh, to at least know uh, there was, they're, they're moving. We're, we're still trying to move the needle. Now, speaking of moving, uh, your, your company is, uh, Investing in a new headquarters building, is that right? We are. We are. We broke ground just a couple of months ago. We have uh, well over 200 employees, and we are moving to Collierville, and we should be there this time next year. We should be moved in. Like I said, they broke ground. Uh, you know, it's a crazy time. Uh, you know, you, you, you just hope and pray that a year from now, we'll be able to enjoy uh, all being together in that building. They could actually move in with people. Imagine that, right? Yeah. Uh, well, that, was there ever any doubt that you were going to stay in Shelby County? You know, I, no. I, I, I think, you know, again, um, our chairman, our people, all such a huge part of the community. I think, you know, we always had a vested interest to, um, to stay and continue to contribute. So um, 
We found this home. It's a great fit and we're excited about it. Well, we're, we're, we're glad that you're, that you're staying in Shelby. Uh, you know, it's just, it's great when these, these companies that originate in Memphis and grow up in Memphis uh, stay in the, in the area. And uh, that's, uh, you know, to me, that's so important. You know, companies like yours and FedEx and AutoZone, um, you know, we, get, we have had companies relocate here like International Paper, but um, you can't replicate uh, the, the value of, of a company growing up in the, in the area. You can, and I, and I think that's what's so important. I mean, our roots are here. Uh, we're committed to Shelby County, um, committed to the driving community, committed to the customers, um, both, like I said, uh, our importers and our exporters, and we're committed to our employees uh, to continue to stay and grow, and we're excited about it. You know, one thing that you, that you mentioned earlier that I wanted to, to comment on, because I think a lot of people in Memphis um, – might intellectually know this, uh, maybe not even intellectually know it, uh, but certainly you don't see it all the time. And that is the community of global shippers like your company that are, that are headquartered here. And there's a real community of those folks here in, in Memphis and have been for a long, a long time. So true. Uh, I, I, again, take it back um, many years. People, what do you do? Um, are you a travel agent? I'm like, no, I'm an international shipping. You know, what, what, what is that? Um, the community is huge. And you mentioned some of, uh, of the largest, I mean, Federal Express, oh my goodness, right? Um, uh, uh, amazing. Um, when we look at our shipping community, our constant e-community, um, and that is uh, our importers, uh, some of the people that you just mentioned, our export community, so vibrant. I mentioned our cotton merchants, the largest cotton merchants in the world, headquartered right here at home in Memphis, Tennessee. You know, huge employers um, like uh, our paper friends right there on Poplar Avenue. But bigger than that, our community is, is an extension. Uh, so many people serving these big shippers on the freight forwarding community, on the customs house brokerage community. And then uh, fortunately for us, our, our motor carrier community servicing these, these, um, these great shippers. And so it, it is a network. It is a network of vibrant and uh, innovative shippers, carriers, continuing to, to kind of push this, this international community forward. So uh, you're spot on. Yeah, a lot of people in Memphis don't know that, that the port of Memphis is the third largest freshwater port in the country. Yes. And I think that, that when I found that out, that shocked me and I know it shocks a lot of people. Um, and your industry is a big part of, of Memphis. It's a big part of, and it's always, as you say, you know, cotton has always been traded and moved through Memphis for years and uh, lumber and all kinds of things. And uh, so we just, I, if, on behalf of the city, uh, we really appreciate your commitment to the city and the great work that you do. Thank you, Alan. Um, we're very proud of our team and our people and uh, just very grateful to be in Memphis and, and serving the community that we do. So I appreciate that very much. Well, Donna, I've really enjoyed this. I could, uh, I could sit and talk uh, shipping 
for a long time. I mean, it really is kind of fascinating how things get from one place to another on time and under budget. Um, and I know it just doesn't happen that it takes a lot of hard work to get there. And you guys certainly are doing that hard work. Thank you, Alan. It's, uh, it's certainly uh, our favorite subject. So if you ever want to talk about international shipping, uh, give us a ring. Uh, but in the meantime, we just appreciate the time this morning to talk about what we do, uh, who we are, um, and uh, the industry that we serve. It's been really fun. Good. All right, you. Donna, thank you so much for, for uh, spending some time with us. I want to thank everybody for watching. Uh, Ask Alan, please uh, share us on social media, like us, all that good stuff. Uh, if you've enjoyed uh, the broadcast, please send it to somebody you think might uh, benefit from it. And if you're looking for a job, it sounds like um, uh, these folks and a lot of other folks need drivers and uh, warehouse workers and uh, all kinds of folks in the logistics industry. So if you've been in a, a business that's been hit by the, by the pandemic and you've lost an opportunity there, take a look at this industry for opportunities uh, because they're thriving. Absolutely. All right. Thank you very much. And I'll see y'all next time on Ask Allen. Thank you.